And they came to Jericho, and as he, as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And they heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. He began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, rise, he is calling you. And throwing off his mantle, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Master, let me receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord. One of my favorite movies is The Shawshank Redemption. The 1994 film stars Timothy Robbins playing the part of Andy Dufresne and Morgan Freeman in the role of Red. Now, the movie begins with Andy Dufresne as a young, successful banker, but he's convicted of two murders and given two consecutive life sentences to be served at the Shawshank State Penitentiary in Maine, where he lives. When he gets there, he meets meets the acquaintance of Red, and over the years, uh, they will become very close friends. And it's easy to see that Andy just is different than the other prisoners. He carries himself differently. He's very educated, but he also has this spirit of hope about him. Now, he also tries very hard to make life better in prison, not just for himself, but especially for the other prisoners. And because he was a banker before he went to prison, he is able to help the prison guards with their finances and taxes and the warden as well. And yet prison is just about as bad as you can imagine it. The guards and the prison warden are viciously cruel. And in the midst of everything, the prison warden is very corrupt because he's a government official and he's able to access different programs, he starts to take kickbacks and develop scams, and he has Andy fix his books uh, so that he won't get caught. Well, because of all that Andy is doing, the warden moves him from working in the prison laundry to working in the prison library. When Andy gets to the library, he finds that it's just a small collection of books And so he sets out on a letter-writing campaign for years. And at the end of that time, they have to expand the space for the library because of the amount of books and music he receives. And he begins a program where prisoners can come in and study and take their GED exams. Andy tells his friends there in prison that it's important that they live with hope. A life without hope is death. And so he tells them how important it is to have hope in life. And Red really scoffs at this. He tells them that hope is a very dangerous thing. 
And it's something that could kill you in a place like prison. He was probably thinking of the former librarian. When Andy was first appointed to the library, the librarian was an elderly gentleman by the name of Brooks. He had been in prison for over 50 years. It was all he knew, and he was a fixture there at Shawshank. But the day finally came when the parole board granted him release, and he was absolutely terrified of that. He couldn't imagine life outside of prison. But the prison board arranged for him to live in a halfway house, and he went to work in a grocery store sacking groceries, But you can tell that he has absolutely no hope. And despair seizes his soul. And he decides he can't live like that any longer. And the movie shows him out of this sense of utter despair taking his own life. The movie goes on from that and it shows the years passing by for Andy and Red. Andy does his best to make things better. And there comes a day when he is given an opportunity to prove his innocence. There's another new prisoner who comes in who's willing to testify on his behalf. And when the warden finds out, he has him silenced. Because at that point, Andy had become too important to all of the warden's uh, scams and finances. And after that point, Red saw a change in Andy Andy had always talked about hope, but now Andy's demeanor really changed, and he started talking about life outside of prison, which Red knew would never happen. Andy told Red about his dream to live in Mexico, in southern Mexico, on a small town on the coast, Zahuatanejo. And he said that it was right there on the Pacific Ocean, And someday, when he got out, he wanted to open a small hotel and then find a fishing boat and fix it up and take all of his guests out on fishing charters. Now, for Red, who had little to no hope, these words seem like a fantasy of someone who was really deciding to leave life. And Andy made sure that Red knew this place in Mexico where he wanted to go, Zihuataneo. He made sure he said it over and over. And then he asked Red to promise him something. He told Red, if ever you get out of prison, I want you to promise me to go to this small town near here, and there's a field uh, in the town. And in the corner of the field, there's this large oak tree, and under the oak tree, there's a gift for you that I've left for you. Promise me that you'll go get it. And Red makes this promise, but he really thinks that Andy has done with life. Then Andy gets up and he says to Red, I have a choice to make in life. Either get busy living or get busy dying. And Red interpreted that in the worst possible way. All night long, he worried about his friend. And the next morning at roll call, Andy Dufresne didn't come out of his prison cell, and Red thought the worst. The prison warden and the guards all ran into Andy's cell, and they couldn't find him. And so they called for Red, uh, Andy's close friend, and they asked him what had happened. And Red had no clue. It It was as if Andy had just vanished. 
And then they would all discover that a large poster on the wall covered up a tunnel that Andy had obviously been digging for years. And Andy Dufresne had escaped. He jumped up and took his chance at freedom. He knew that he couldn't let despair tie him down. He couldn't die a slow death in prison walls living without hope. In fact, a life without hope was dying, and he knew he had to get busy living. Hope is what saved him and set him free, and hope is the vision of possibilities, even if the conclusion is uncertain. This morning, I want to continue in our sermon series, Questions. What does Christ ask of us? Throughout the gospel are numerous times where Jesus raises questions to people. He asks questions of the disciples to help them better understand his calling. He asks questions to the crowds he was teaching to help them contemplate the kingdom of God. And he asks questions to the leaders to help them see legalism. And so throughout this series, we are taking a few of these questions, and on Sunday morning, we're posing them as if Jesus is standing right before us and asking us. And so this morning, how would you respond to the question, what do you want me to do for you? This morning's scripture passage comes from the Gospel of Mark, and the author is telling us the story of Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is a blind man who lives in Jericho, and to be blind at that time was to be an outcast, because most of the people at that time thought you were blind because you had done something wrong, and God was punishing you. Now, can you imagine living in a society where they thought you had been cursed by God? Every day you had to sit by the roadside and the dirt just kicked up in your face, and you were either ignored or ridiculed. Your greatest hope was that people would have enough pity on you that they would give you some spare change. And every day after day after day, that was your existence. And yet there's something different about Bartimaeus. When he hears that Jesus is leaving Jericho, he starts to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people around him told him to be quiet. After all, who was he to trouble someone like Jesus? But Bartimaeus cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus heard his voice and stopped and called for Bartimaeus. And it says that Bartimaeus threw off his outer coat, jumped up, and went to Jesus. And then Jesus asked him the question, What do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus replied that he wanted his eyesight. And Jesus healed him and said, Your faith has made you well. Go on your way. And for Bartimaeus, who had new eyes, not just physical eyesight, but spiritual eyes to see, he knew that his way was to follow Christ. Hope is the vision of possibilities, even if the conclusion is uncertain. This morning, there are three things I want to discuss that can help us answer the question and give us hope in life. First, 
is don't be afraid to call out for Christ. When I was in seminary on the campus of Southern Methodist University in Dallas, one of my favorite places to visit was the restaurant La Madeleine. There was a shopping center right beside the SMU campus, and I loved going there. There's just something about the atmosphere. If you've never been to one, it's like a little French cafe, and it's very intimate. And yes, I know the comfort food is great, but what really was meaningful was the fact that this was a gathering place where the students and professors would go to study and and read and visit with one another. It just did something for your soul. Recently, I started reading a book by the founder of the restaurant, Patrick Escare, and he wrote a book called Listen, Adapt, Surprise, The La Madeline Love Story. And in it, he talks about his decision to open a French bakery cafe in America. And the very first place that he came to was Oklahoma City. But as he looked around, he didn't find the right site, and so he moved on to Dallas. And when he got to Dallas, he met a few people, and someone introduced him to Stanley Marcus. Now, he didn't know who Stanley Marcus was, but he understood from that meeting that Stanley was somebody he just had this kinship with. He knew that they would be friends, and they were. They became very dear friends And Stanley would be like a father to Patrick for the rest of Stanley's life until he passed away several years ago. He just had this special connection with him from the beginning. Well, at that very first meeting, Stanley asked Patrick, why are you here in Dallas? And Patrick told him about his dream to start a French bakery cafe, a place where people in the community would gather And so Stanley didn't miss a a wink, and he told him, well, there's a shopping center right beside the SMU campus, and if you start your cafe there, it'll be successful. Well, Patrick arranged to see the property with the bank realtor, and when they get there, the realtor realizes that Patrick has very little funding and very few guarantors. And so he quotes him a very high price for the property. He tells him that the rental price is $21 per square foot, and he would only be given a three-year lease, and he would have to pay a year in advance each of those three years, and he would be given no money for improvements to the property, even though the property really needed it. Well, Patrick couldn't do that. He didn't have that kind of money up front. And so he called his new friend Stanley, and he told him what had happened, and he just said, I'm sorry, it's just not going to work out. And Stanley asked to talk to the realtor. And Patrick heard the realtor say, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, okay. And when the realtor got off the phone, he said the new price was just $14 a square foot, that he would be offering a nine-year lease And he would only have to pay one month in advance, and they would give him $50,000 in improvements for the property. Well, Patrick really had no idea who Stanley Marcus was when he first met him, or the influence he had until that moment. Stanley Marcus, of course, was CEO of Neiman Marcus, and he just happened to be on the board of the bank that that realtor was representing. (laughs) 
But Patrick didn't know that until that moment. What he did know was that he had this friend, and he knew from the very beginning that he could call out to him in the midst of his needs. And so Patrick Oscare, who could not cook or bake, was successful in starting a French bakery cafe here in America, largely because he relied on calling for help from his friends when he was in need. Don't be afraid to call out to Christ in the midst of your needs. When we read and hear about the story of Bartimaeus, we think, of course, Bartimaeus called out for Jesus. Now we understand, of course, Bartimaeus wasn't being punished by God, and that's why he was blind. And we know anybody who is blind or has physical ailments or who is in deep trouble, of course, they deserve to call out to Christ. But we have problems when we think about our own needs. We start to think, well, why should we say anything to God? Why should we pray for our own needs? Because there are lots of people with much bigger problems than us. Our problems are too petty or mundane or inconsequential to to God of the universe. And yet in the Bible are examples to remind us that every single time someone cries out to Jesus, Jesus responded every single time. A great example is found with Martha. You remember the time where a large group of people went to Martha's house and she was stuck in the kitchen cooking and preparing everything for this large group of people while her sister Mary was hanging out with Jesus. And she didn't hesitate to go and express her viewpoint to Jesus. Martha went up to Jesus and she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the serving by myself? Tell her to help me. And Jesus doesn't ridicule her. He says, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but only one thing is needed. And he tells her that her sister has chosen what is most important, and he wouldn't take that from her. Now, maybe Martha still went away a little upset with her sister, but Jesus was not upset with Martha for coming to him. In fact, you can hear him trying to comfort her. Martha, you're anxious and troubled about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. Another good example for us that we can take anything to Jesus happens just a few verses before the Bartimaeus story. When Jesus asked Bartimaeus the question, what do you want me to do for you? It was the second time in just a few verses that he had asked that question. In the verses preceding today's passage, Jesus was out walking with his disciples, and he started to tell them what would happen to him. He said that he would be turned over to the authorities, that he would be persecuted and beaten and killed, and then he would rise again. And right after that, the disciples, James and John, come up to Jesus and pull him aside and tell him, Lord, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And Jesus does not scold them. He doesn't cast them aside. Instead, he asks them the question, what do you want me to do for you? 
And they proceed to tell him that when he comes into glory, they want to be seated at his right and left hand, the positions of power. And Jesus knows that they just don't fully understand. But he doesn't cast them aside. He doesn't scold them. He doesn't turn them away. Whatever we face in life, our frustrations, our despair, our loss, loneliness, whatever it is, we can take it to Christ and Jesus will hear us when we cry out to him. It doesn't matter. And Christ will give us new sight. Jesus gave sight to Martha to help her to see that what she really needed was peace and comfort in her own life and not to take it out on her sister. Jesus helped James and John to see that they didn't really understand what they were asking. And Jesus helped Bartimaeus to see that he was the Christ. Don't be afraid to bring anything to Christ. He will give you new sight. Second, trust in God's love. In the book that Patrick Escare wrote, Listen, Adapt, Surprise, the LaMadeline Love Story, he talks about a, an incident that happened in his life and growing up in France in the 1940s. He was a very young boy, but he said the memories are still vivid to him. The German occupation was very devastating for everyone. And the Nazis had confiscated all the gasoline. And although his family maintained strong connections with each other and to their faith, they would have a hard time getting to church. They couldn't drive their vehicle anymore. And so they would all get into this little car, and it would be pulled to town, to the church, by their donkey. And that's what they would do every Sunday morning. But one Sunday morning in particular, in August of 1944, they loaded up in the cart and they were headed around the bend when they were encountered by a large convoy of military vehicles. And they were full of American GIs who were there to liberate France. And when the convoy saw their family, it stopped And all of these uh, dusty, dirt-covered men, soldiers, got out of the vehicles, and they came over to the family and started giving them provisions. They gave them chocolate and their first-ever packs of chewing gum, and they even gave them gasoline. Now, Patrick said, at that moment, those soldiers became my heroes. And that moment would be a profound memory in his life. He said that it was part of his entire business model, listen, adapt, and surprise. He said that we need to listen to others for their ideas and look for the opportunities that come our way. In other words, we need ears to hear and eyes to see. And then, When we encounter new ideas or opportunities, we need to adapt our lives accordingly. And then finally, we should look for ways to build surprise in life, ways to share joy or find joy for ourselves. And he said that those soldiers created a moment of surprise for him. 
They didn't need to stop their trucks. They were liberating the country. And yet they took a moment to share kindness and joy with this one family, and it made an impact all the years of his life. He would have, from that moment on, this deep appreciation and love for America. When Bartimaeus would go to the roadside day after day, he had no idea that that day would be the surprise of Jesus passing by. We sometimes think that those things don't happen very often. But the surprise of God's love is that it's constant in our lives. And if we will keep our eyes open, we'll see lots of reminders that it's there. But too often, we tend to turn away. We look aside. What's surprising to me in the story of Bartimaeus is that his is the only voice we hear. Where were the others? On our most recent trip to the Holy Land, we also visited Jordan and Egypt. And when you visit those countries, you find that any place where vendors gather, there's never just one. There's a collection of lots of people who want to ask you for money. And the reason they all gather, because they know the sites where tourists will be passing by. And so they all gather at those locations There's never just one. There's a whole host of them. And the same was true in the day of Bartimaeus. If Bartimaeus is at the roadside, he's there because he knows lots of people will pass by him coming in and out of Jericho, and he wouldn't have been alone. Lots of people who were begging would have been right there with him. People who were ill or who were destitute. And yet we only hear his voice. Why is he the only one who in that moment is able to trust in God's love? He held on to that. In fact, it makes you wonder about the other voices who were telling him to be quiet. Maybe those were the voices of the people who were begging with him. The people that had just closed their eyes to the reality of God's love. Real blindness is when we close our eyes to the love of God in the world, and we stop looking. One of the things that surprised me the last time I watched the movie Shawshank Redemption was the fact that the prison was located in Maine. And the place that Andy talked and dreamt about living was in the southwest coast of Mexico. Imagine how that story must have sounded to Red. It was inconceivable that he would ever see the paradise in Mexico. He was a a prisoner in Maine, the most northeast state, and Andy was dreaming about a faraway place, southwest Mexico, on the coast of the Pacific. He couldn't imagine it, except that he trusted in his friend. And in the end, that trust would bring redemption in his life. Hope is the vision of the possibilities, even if the conclusion is uncertain. And third, follow Christ. If Christ restores your vision, follow him. In the movie, toward the end, after Andy has escaped, Red is just by himself, and you can tell he has no hope left. 
and he's brought before the parole board one more time. And he's been through this so many times in the past. He's always been rejected. And you can tell he has no hope now. And yet the surprise is the parole board grants him release. They send him to the halfway house where Brooks had lived and to the same grocery store sacking groceries. And what's amazing or interesting or sad is that the very first thing he does out of prison is not go to the gift that Andy left him. He settles for the life that the parole board has given him. He doesn't go look for the gift. He settles into the monotony and he starts to become despondent. You can see that despair is setting in because he's contemplating committing another crime just to go back to prison. And before he does that, he realizes the promise he made to Andy. And so for one last thing, he decides to go find that gift. And he arrives at the field, and he sees the large oak tree in the corner. And underneath that tree, he finds a small box. And when he opens the box, he finds an envelope full of a large sum of money for him. And he has a letter in the box from Andy. And in the letter, Andy invites him to come to Mexico to help him in his business project. And Andy writes to him, Hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. And in that moment, Red is transformed. He is healed by hope. It's not when he gets to paradise It's by the gift of hope that's been made real through his friend Andy. And so the next thing that happens, you see him going to get a bus ticket and getting on the bus. And over those scenes of him headed to Mexico, you hear his words playing in the background. And he says, I find that I am so excited that I can barely sit still or hold a thought in my head. It is the excitement only a free man can feel. A free man at the start of a long journey whose conclusion is uncertain. The final scenes of the movie, the final words are spoken by Red. And as you see him walking across the beach to greet his friend, you hear him saying, I hope I make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it is in my dreams. I hope. The final two words of the movie are I hope. And they're spoken by a man who has new eyes to see. These aren't words of wishful thinking of something that's never going to happen. They're words that are in action. It's his way to get busy living, I hope. For Bartimaeus, he sat beside that roadside for years. But that day, Jesus was coming by and he cried out to Jesus. And even though people told him to be quiet, he cried out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped when he heard the voice of Bartimaeus. And he called Bartimaeus to come over. 
And the scripture says that Bartimaeus threw off his coat and jumped up. He says he sprang up to go see Jesus. Bartimaeus was healed in that moment, not the restoration of his eyesight, but in the gift of hope in knowing that he had been heard by God. He jumped up with all the excitement of a free man at the beginning of a long journey whose conclusion was uncertain. Jesus would restore his eyesight and Bartimaeus would follow Christ. Hope is the vision of possibilities, even when the conclusion is uncertain. And so don't be afraid to trust in the love of God. Don't be afraid to ever take your needs to Christ, no matter what you're going through. Trust in God's love that Christ wants to hear your voice calling out to him. Hope is the vision of the possibilities, even if the conclusion is uncertain. And so take heart, because Jesus is asking you, what do you want me to do for you? It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayers. Amen.